we spoke about hunger in the dark. And that really goes to address the journey of the wilderness. Now, we know that when you look back at the account of the children of Israel, they were in captivity, they were in Egypt, they were slaves. They lived a very different kind of life. They weren't free to do what they wanted. Their identity was changed. They were slaves. They were in captivity. And when God wanted to save them, he wanted to take them somewhere completely different. Someone, someone that was theirs. Don't forget that in these, these, these particular civilizations, land was really important. To have their own land. You know, until now, when we look at you know, the problems in Israel-Palestine, it's about land. It's because these ancient civilizations, land is important because land gives you stability. Because when you're in, you've got your land, you can plant, you have crops, you have, you have herds, you have a livelihood, and that's what your wealth was. That's what your security was. And so when we look at what God promised them, he said, I'm going to give you a new land, a promised land. And that really addresses two very important things. The first is, there's a promise. God gave them a promise. And the promise was, I'm going to take you out of captivity. You will be my people. And it's not going to be easy. So I'm going to fight for you. It wasn't, you know, God saying to Pharaoh, let my people go, and uh, they just left. He had to fight for them. He had to find Moses, prepare Moses, send Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. Pharaoh rejected once, twice, three times, ten times. And every time he fought for it. Because God never wants us to be in captivity. You know, he never wants us to be um, not our own. You know, when St. Paul says, do you not know that you are not your own? He doesn't mean that we then become captives to another. He, becomes that he's, he means that we belong to Christ. And so he doesn't want to give us up. He doesn't want to say, I made you, I created you, I fashioned you, I gave you my image and my likeness, but, you know, somebody else can take you. Of course he doesn't want that. Because out of his love for us, he wants to keep us as his. And so that was the promise. The problem is, I'm going to fight for you. I'm not going to leave you. Don't think that you're worth less because you are slaves. Don't think you're worth less because you're in captivity. I created you free, and so I want to keep you free. And of course, when it translates to our lives, we sometimes put ourselves into captivity. And if you, know, if you think about it, when you think about the sins we commit and the lives we commit and the weaknesses we have, sometimes we place ourselves in those situations. You know, we heard a lot about the prodigal son this morning. He intentionally, proactively decided he didn't want the security of his father's home. He wanted to venture out into the great wide world to sort of get his own experience, you know. It, it's, it's something we hear a lot with university students. Everyone can't wait to get to university because they're going to move out of the house because they're going to experience the world. And that's great if the experience is good, 
But sometimes we throw ourselves into negative experiences. And sometimes we know we're throwing ourselves into negative experiences. And yet we do it anyway. And still, God says, I don't care. You put yourself in this. You put yourself in captivity. You've put yourself into slavery. You've made yourself subject to this. I'm still going to fight for you. But fighting for you means I'm going to provide opportunities and you need to take a journey. You need to journey out of this captivity. And so what did God do with the children of Israel? He's fine. I'm going to take you out, gather your things, gather your children, gather your flocks, gather your herds, gather your people, and journey. And they got a little way and they found themselves in front of the Red Sea. So he opened the Red Sea for them. No obstacle is too great. And as we journey through our wilderness, we are going to find massive obstacles. Some of them are going to be real. There was actually really a sea there. What do you do about it? And some of them are going to be perceived. Satan puts obstacles into our own mind. Satan makes us think, you can't go down there. You can't make this journey. It doesn't make sense. It's not going to get you anywhere. There's no point trying. At least here, you know where you are. You know, when, when the children of Israel spoke to Moses, when they're at the, the, the edge of the sea, they said, oh, you know, did you bring us out here to die? And that's sometimes how we feel when we're starting our spiritual journey. We come on seriously. I was comfortable. I was okay. I was happy. What now? Trial, tribulation, temptation. What am I living through? And so whether the obstacle is real or perceived, the obstacle can be removed. God will remove it. Even if it is the Red Sea in your life, the sea was immovable. It just didn't make any sense, and yet he moved it. And then he says, trust me and follow me. So we get over the first obstacle, and we follow him. And of course, as we go through, there are things we've left behind. So even children of Israel said to Moses, where is the bread and the pots of meat we had? You know, they were well fed, but they weren't well fed because they were loved. They were well fed because they were slaves. They had to keep their energy up. They had to be powerful. They had to be strong. They had to be able to lift blocks of stone. They had to be able to build. And so when they were fed, it wasn't because they were loved or cherished. It was because they had to be strong to fulfill the purpose of their captors. And, you know, we sometimes look at life and think, you know, God, why, you know, why do people who aren't following you get everything? You know, have we felt that? These people aren't living according to your commandments, according to your will, in your way, except Satan needs to keep them strong because they're doing other things. You know, going into the servitude of Satan is in stages. One is, I'm going to break your will and make you mine. The second is, once you're mine, I'm going to use you. So I need you to be strong, but strong in a different way. And so, yes, they were fed. They had bread. They had pots of meat. 
so that they could physically do their work. But they're human. And so in the wilderness, they felt hunger. They had to eat. And so we read in the book of Exodus, chapter 16, that as they went and they prayed, God sent them this manna from heaven. And we're told that the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. It wasn't just, it wasn't just anything. It was tasty. You know, if you're, um, if you're trying to stay fit, if you're trying to lose weight or build muscle or do whatever, the one thing you need to know is whatever you taste, whatever you eat is going to taste horrible. Because apparently that's not good for you. You know, if it, if, if, it, if it verges somewhere between rabbit food and parrot food, then it must be good for you. Or a combination of both. You know, because that's what we, the tasty stuff, sweet stuff, no, no, that's not good for you. But God doesn't treat us that way. When God sends things, he sends beautiful things. So he wanted to feed them, he sent them man. It tasted like coriander seed, and it tasted like wafers made with honey. Just because you're struggling through the dark and through the desert, I don't want you to suffer. So I'm going to give you some things. I'm going to give you things. Now that, for us, can be translated into two ways. The first is, God will provide for us. You know, even when we're struggling, we're fighting, we want to do what's right, we want to do what's best, God will send us nice things. And that manner can, can look like friends, acquaintances, a nice reassuring verse of scripture, a nice worship song, a beautiful liturgy, a nice reflection. You know, all of it's going to be wafer, tasting like honey. Things that are sent our way, just for us. But he also, it also means something else. Our Lord himself, in the Gospel of St. John chapter 6, speaks of himself as the bread that has come down from heaven. So he himself is now our man. So during this journey of life, as we're going from one place to another, as we're struggling, we feel, we feel that he's still with us. You know, we, we underestimate, we devalue the Eucharist. We don't understand it sometimes. We don't realize what a gift it is. It is Christ giving himself to us. He's actually really there. And, you know, we come... It's interesting, you see some people um, from other churches who will go to take communion and you think it, it, you feel illustrated with such sanctity. One of, I think one of the, the, the challenges we have is that we have a culture where we take communion a lot. Now I'm not saying you shouldn't. What I'm saying is when you do something a lot, sometimes you, use, you lose its value. You forget what a great gift it is. You forget what a blessing and a grace it is. Because it's there. It's there for everyone. You know, before, uh, people would have to walk miles. And they couldn't have Eucharist every day. You know, we talk about how long this liturgy is now. What we don't realize is historically, 
No one never had energy every day or every week. This would be an occurrence, it could be every month, every few months, every year. Because the apostles and then their disciples would go out and it wasn't, it was much more rare. And so it was a thing, it was an event. You wanted it to last. But when we see it every week now, we sometimes devalue it. We don't understand what we're getting. This is manna from heaven. Every time you approach the altar, it is manna from heaven. And this manna from heaven nourished them. Because of it, they were able to continue the journey. Now in Egypt, they fed them the bread and the pots of meat because they had to build pyramids. They had to build monuments. But God only fed them in the wilderness so that they could reach the promised land. It wasn't for him, it was for them. So when God does things for us, it's for us, not for him. He doesn't need anything from us. All he does is he gives us the opportunity and the means by which we can then reach his kingdom, reach our promised land. And so don't underestimate approaching the Eucharist. Don't underestimate what it means to partake of it. But then also, if he is the bread of life, then he comes to us, not just sacramentally through the Eucharist, but he comes to us scripturally, through the Bible, through our Bible readings. We look at the Bible as a chore. Let's face it. Have you read your Bible? Yeah, I'm trying. I just don't have time. When was the last time you read it? You know, I tried to read it. I'm not quite sure. Maybe every couple of days. And it's a struggle. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not underestimating that it's a struggle. You're all very busy. You all do lots of things. But this word of God is also manna from heaven. It is also what nourishes us through the wilderness as we travel to the promised land. Have you read the best passage before? Probably. Have you heard it before? Probably. Might you get a different message from it? Yes, you might. Might it mean something different to you? Yes, it might. I can't tell you the number of times I've read scripture. And although I've read this passage tens of times, possibly hundreds of times, and yet suddenly something different comes up. And you feel, that's the nourishment I needed. That's that little manner from heaven that allows me to go for another little way along my journey. So don't underestimate it. I think one of our problems is we look at our spiritual means as an imposition. Something that's imposed on, something we have to do. But it's not. That's almost like saying, you know what, the children of Israel were traveling through the wilderness and their imposition was that they had manna. They had to eat. But it's only through that that they were able to continue. But that's not the only provision. You know, the first session we spoke about hunger in the dark. Right? God did two things for the children of Israel to help them get through the journey. The one was the nourishment. The second was the guidance. Because if you're in a big... Has anyone been in a desert here? 
Yeah? Okay, deserts are scary. Um, I've had two experiences of deserts. One, obviously, because I grew up in Australia. And so in central Australia, you have this incredible desert, and it's all red dust. If you get lost in there, you're going to die. People probably won't find you. It is vast. And the second experience was in the wilderness when I was in the monastery. Again, thousands of acres of sand. If you go out there and you don't know what you're looking for, you don't know where you're going, you get lost and you die. So how do we journey through this wilderness? God knew that. You know, even in our own world that we live in now, sometimes it feels like sometimes it feels like it's really arid land. It's dry. It's huge. We sometimes feel very small. Just as you feel small in a vast wilderness, in a desert, sometimes in this world we feel very small. And in proportion to the world, we feel that it's vast. It's enormous. And how do I find my way out? I've got to tell you, even I, even I feel that way sometimes. You know, when I'm looking at uh, journeying through life, and not just me, sometimes I'm one of the people, you know, the children of Israel, and sometimes I feel like Moses. You think, I've got people I need to be leading. I've got clergy, and I've got laity, and I've got responsibilities, and I've got parishioners, and I've got youth and elderly people. Where, where do you start? How do you do this? How do you know where to go? And that's why God provided something for them that was really important. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So he would nourish them with the manna from heaven and then give them guidance. You know what? It's journeying through the wilderness for dummies. You don't need to do anything at all. Just follow the pillar. And to make it absolutely undeniable and unmissable, I'm going to make a huge fluffy pillar of cloud by day so you can see it. And imagine a beautiful clear sky in the middle of the desert during the day and you see this pillar of cloud. It's undeniable. It's there. Follow it. And at night when it's dark, when it's scary, when it's cold, when it's even more threatening, when you feel more vulnerable, when you feel more at risk, there's this enormous pillar of fire that will blaze before you. And I've always found that imagery really, really important. Because during the day when it's, you know, it's nice and bright, like you have outside, you nice to have like a fluffy cloud. You know, when we go through the nice times of our lives. Oh, look, it's so beautiful, let's follow it. But then at night, when you're afraid, when you feel like you're going to be lost, when you lose a bit of confidence, you're not quite sure where you are, when you feel exposed and vulnerable in the middle of the wilderness, you want something that's even more powerful. And you get this pillar of fire. Um, I'm sure if you've attended uh, bonfires, you know that if a fire gets a little bit too big, what happens to it? You hear it, right? You hear the fire, the way it crackles, the way it, the way it roars. Have you heard the roar of a fire? That's what it's called. Now imagine this enormous pillar of fire roaring before you, opening up 
So you can see it, you can hear it, you follow it, and it's right there. And it leads us out. Because God wants us to be safe. God doesn't want us to be wandering in the desert. The desert is a means to an end. You have to go from Egypt to the promised land. You're not supposed to live in the desert. You're supposed to go from A to B, and that's all it is. So don't mess around here. Don't stay too long. Don't wander around. Sometimes it's really, it seems really exciting. Let's stay in the desert. It's nice. It's exciting. You know what? No rules, no regulations. We're in our own space. Let's just stay around here. No. Go from A to B. Make your journey intentional. Make your journey life-giving and life-threatening. Because if you stay in the wilderness, your life is a threat. And you realize you're vulnerable. And so your journey becomes based on that. And then, if, if this is the promised land, where we're going to have all of these beautiful things that are promised, why would we not stay in the wilderness? You know, the wilderness stage is pretty much where the prodigal son was. He journeyed, he lost everything. First few steps, and then famine, next few steps. Then he went and worked with the citizens of, 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 that, of that city, next few steps. And he became hungry. And he couldn't eat, he didn't know what to eat. It's at the point where he said, I'm dying. I have servants in my father's house that can eat and have more than they need. I lived as a prince in my father's house, but now I'm feeding swine. And as we heard this morning, swine weren't just pigs, and they think, oh, pigs, aren't they cute? No, swine, pigs, were defiled animals in that culture. This was horrible. This wasn't like herding cows. This wasn't like herding goats. That would be a desirable thing to do. You would even, you know, if you had goats, if you had cows, you'd be very wealthy. And if you were tending those, it'd be a good job to have. But he was now with pigs, with defiled creatures in a defiled setting. And yet it is at that point when he said, Actually, I don't need to be here. I need to go. Gets up and he starts to continue his journey. And it's at that point that the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire were in front of him. When he wanted to move. Because God wants us to come back to him. He, he wants to accept us. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want us to suffer. He wants us to be with him. And God will send us very clear pillars of cloud and fire. We may not see them all the time, but if we look closely enough, they'll be there. Our journeys sometimes feel hopeless. Our journeys sometimes feel like there's no point to them. Like, I'm going to die in the desert anyway, so what's the point? 
I'm going to die a stranger in the world anyway. What's the point? And yet, the promised land is a reality. This wasn't some figment of their imagination. This wasn't some shady promise that wasn't going to be kept. This was a real place they were going to. And what we, what we forget sometimes when we're thinking about the children of Israel and Egypt and the wilderness of the promised land is it was a real place. They were actually making a journey physically through a desert to a real place that waited for them. And for us, the kingdom of God is a real place. It's, it's not a farce. It's not a figment of anyone's imagination. It's not a shady promise. It's there. It's actually there waiting for us. And so the reason we're focusing on this theme, especially at this time, is that as we go through that and into Holy Week, don't forget that the promise of the resurrection is there. It's real. And so when we're going through Lent, and this is some revelation I had last night, I, to do with something else. But it really struck me that it relates to, to fasting as well. We keep thinking in fasting about, you know, what are we missing out? What can't we do? What can't we have? And we get distracted. We're going to the promised land. We're approaching the resurrection. The resurrection is real. It's life-giving. It's joyful. And so we need to focus on it. And that needs to be real in my life. Christ is risen. We commemorate it once a year, but he is absolutely risen. And because he's risen, it gives me hope and it gives me promise. It makes me feel that my journey is worthwhile. So as we continue this journey through length together, keep looking forward. Keep looking to the direction. Keep looking to the promised land. Keep looking to life. And keep looking to the risen Lord who is our promise that this life is only temporary and this journey is only temporary. And that what we are really aiming for is a kingdom and a promise and that it's coming. And glory to God for it.